beginning, something beginning a new, a new day. And this gives us this sense of this, this uh, stretch of time that we will be practicing meditation here. This, this uh, feeling in the mind that there's something to do today. The beginning and this, this, this meditation retreat will be practicing meditation, reflecting on Dhamma. It's to bring attention to the way it is, how the, the, the conditioned realm affects the mind. Just the, just the morning a morning, beginning of a day, sets, uh, sets the, the uh, attitude, the, the inner atmosphere, what we, the, the habitual tendencies. Just like at the end of the day, the attitude, say when we say this is night time, the end of the day, then the mind starts, yes, it's time to rest, go to bed, where we, that we incline toward sleep, rest and sleep. So the beginning and ending, this, this, this perception and this experience of starting and ending, beginning and ending is, is reflected upon. And we know that, that, what, that this, is, that the, this conditioned realm of change is like this, that something's always beginning and ending for us. And that uh, beginnings are this way, isn't it? That you're, there's this sense of time, of, of time ahead of us to do something, or sometimes it can be, some, uh, we're looking forward, isn't it? We're kind of hoping and expecting that this day, or anticipating something. Or we could look forward, to look into this day as, oh, another day, another sit and sore knees and an aching back. And uh, we could dread another, this meditation retreat's dragging on. We could start complaining about the, the things we don't like that we'll have to experience during the day or that we might be dreading. So time is, is like this. This is a, the conditioned realm is a realm of time, of beginning and ending, change, impermanence. The sense, the sense world is, is this way, sensual experience, feeling, sensitivity. You know, this, these bodies are sensitive forms. They sit here and they, they because they are sensitive, then they, they're going to feel the temperature in the room. If it's too cold or too hot or just right, it's going to, say, when, when, when you, your eyes are going to see what passes in front of them, whether it's beautiful or ugly. And your ears are going to hear the sounds that come yeah, through that 
organ, whether it's melodious or cacophonous, or your nose going to pick up the odors of fragrant or stenches, and the tongue, the tastes of sweet, sour, bitter, bland, spicy. And the mind, isn't it? Some thoughts are going to be pleasant. Like we all have a storehouse of maybe memories or fantasies that that give us pleasure. Then we have also uh, a lot of memories or fears that, that make us unhappy. So into this moment now, we can, we can bring up happiness into the mind. We can think of something pleasant, something uh, pleasing, beautiful, good. Or we can bring up something unpleasant, something that might happen. some terrible thing. And when we, when we talk about Dhamma, then it's, it's we're, we're, we're seeing the Dhamma of this rather than, than uh, trying to uh, pick and choose and, and uh, control and manipulate the, the conditions around us or the conditions uh, that we generate in our minds the habitual tendencies and latent tendencies, assumptions and habits. Because now we're, we're seeing them as, in the sense of seeing the Dhamma, or the impermanence of the conditioned realm. We're, we're looking at it from a distance. When you look at something as impermanent, you're looking at a characteristic it has that all conditions have, whether they're good or bad. You're not, you're not, your mind isn't occupied with whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's, it's merely uh, the reflecting on Anicca or impermanence allows a kind of transcending, a transcendence of the conditioned realm by identifying it as that which, if, it, if some condition has arisen in your mind, you, you're reflecting on that it's impermanent, it ceases rather than reacting to its quality, which might be pleasant, neutral, or unpleasant. So the, the reflection on impermanence is a way of distancing ourselves, of objectifying, say, thoughts, emotions, uh, habitual tendencies. Just like this uh, sense of, uh, this is a, saying, I am not this, this bell. I'm not this. How do I know I'm not this? Does anybody think you're a bell, this bell? And it's impossible unless you're slightly cracked. Because we see the bell as an object, isn't it? It's out there. It doesn't, we don't, we don't relate to it as me. It's not. It's not, I'm not this bell, it's obvious. Because it's 
there's this distance from it. It's the object. It's an object. So, in taking that further to refinement, we we see in the five aggregates, the five khandhas, the same. We're we're seeing them as objects. We're we're looking at with mindfulness, pure mindfulness. We we objectify. We see that which arises and ceases, that which comes and goes. It's non-judgmental, not not uh, all uh, making comments about whether we like it or don't, or it's right or wrong, good or bad. But it is impermanent. So that that gives you that will allow this this transcendence of the conditioned realm, the realization of transcending it, which doesn't mean kind of flying away into an ethereal realm of, uh, uh, of, of nothingness and no conditions, not running away, but it is, transcendence implies the ability to see the way it is and not be absorbed out of ignorance and desire into any condition, either it's mental, whether it's subtle, whether it's coarse, whether it's physical. Like, like a mood or a feeling in the heart or uh, a sense of, of uh, dread or anxiety or fear can be observed, can be witnessed as, as a condition. That's the negative side. Then, then our infatuations, our, our kind of uh, things that little little things that we we're attached to, and and uh, tendencies that, that we might uh, uh, use to 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 escape things, to, to things that we uh, quite like, and. Are, quite harmless. We can also begin to observe in this way of, uh, as a condition that has arisen and ceases. We, we keep investigating this, that what has arisen ceases. And then you're, you're aware when, when something has arisen and when it has ceased. So awareness allows us to bear with the, con- the quality of the condition, whether it's harsh or, or uh, subtle or whatever its, its quality might be. Because we're reflecting on the characteristic, on the way it is as a condition. It, if it has arisen, say, and many kind of feelings, emotions, attitudes of mind rise up. In mindfulness, then, we, we can bring attention to them to that which we're feeling at this moment. And when we bring attention to it, then uh, we, can, we can sustain that attention, bear with it, and then when, it's, when it ceases, we're also recognizing that it's not present, that it has ceased, that it's ended. So cessation is like this. The cessation of of, uh, 
a mood or a feeling is this way. No mood. There's a, say a mood and then there's no mood. There's maybe worry and then no worry. So say mindfulness allows this, this, uh, uh, its ability to, to, uh, to see the, the condition and, it's, and to recognize when it's, when it's not present. For example, anger, something like anger, is uh, if you're, like many people uh, ask me, they say, how can I get rid of anger? I, I get angry and uh, I don't want to be angry. Uh, how can I get rid of it? Tell me some, some little technique you have as Buddhist monk to get rid of anger. <laughs> and, uh, say that, that, the, uh, that one can uh, see the problem is really the, the desire to get rid of the anger, isn't it? This, this identification, the whole assumption around it has been uh, I have this anger, I shouldn't have this anger, and I want to get rid of it. That whole, that whole way of thinking, that whole attitude of mind, we believe in very much. And then when we try to get rid of anger through that assumption we're making that it's, that it's my problem and that I shouldn't have it and I should get rid of it, then we tend to suppress anger. We just try to, to control our minds, hold it all down, hold it back. So with the, with the right understanding, then we, we're, we're getting to the very cause or the source of the problem, not just the, the resultant symptom, or the, 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 or the condition itself of anger. But anger comes out of ignorance, not understanding things properly. Then we get angry. When the conditions for anger are there, we, we get angry. It's just the... Just uh, when the bell rings, Pavlov's dog salivates. When the conditions uh, that make us angry are present, then we get angry. Because that we're still very much uh, in this conditioned realm, uh, identified with the conditioned realm. And so we, we're easily affected and influenced. And uh, say, the buttons get pushed and they and the, we have the impulses and reactions. And uh, as much as we try to control it, avoid it, uh, run away, we still, uh, because of the nature of the conditioned realm, it's, the conditions are going to, uh, we're inevitably going to meet the conditions that will arouse those emotions that we may not want or have rejected or we fear. But with the right understanding of it, then we, we can, we, with anger, we can observe the feeling of anger, something, say, the conditions to get me angry are present. I feel really, really upset, really angry. Then that, that, that is, the condition has arisen. 
Now, if I were really mindful, then the then one can one can uh, uh, say stop the uh, one can just prevent the actual condition from arising just by recognizing the causes, the things that that are happening that that would cause the anger. But sometimes we aren't that mindful. So, but wherever we we find ourselves, no matter how many, even if you you aren't aware of the causes of the anger, you can at least be aware of the anger when it arises. And so then you're, you're with the feeling of it. Your feeling is this anger is this way. What does is, what is anger do to the body? What does the body feel like when, when, you're, when you're feeling angry at somebody? So you can sustain your your attention, be mindful of bodily feeling, of the heat or the, the, the sensation you feel in your body and where, wherever you, you're feeling anger. In the, in the uh, solar plexus or heart, wherever you, you, can, you can just observe the, say, this, this trunk of the body the heart down to the, the to the abdomen. Fear oftentimes is you feel when you're frightened. You feel it in your in your uh, abdomen, in your guts, don't you? You can feel fear uh, is a strong feeling. We a physical feeling we can have. So by identifying and and sustaining attention on the sensation on the on what they call the Vedana physical Vedana physical feeling that means we accept it that we we are completely with that feeling neither uh, if it's painful or unpleasant we can still accept the sensation of it and then be patient with it, hold your attention, accept it totally. And then when it's not present, when it ceases, there's awareness of non-anger. Non-anger is like this. So that this, this reflection isn't it? You're, you're, the condition takes you to the non-condition. You see, they, they, they kind of work together. You, can, you, can't, real, you can't realize in the unconditioned just through uh, believing in it or, or having the perception of the unconditioned. It's a realization that you, that it's what, it's, it's the way it is, it's real in other words. It's always present, it's always here and now, but, but not noticed because of our tendency to be so bound, habit, uh, habitually bound to the conditioned realm and caught up in the reactions of uh, conditioning. So we don't realize the unconditioned or the non-condition, we usually realize anger, oh, angry again, and then we start passing judgment. We either blame somebody, it's your fault, if you, if you acted right and 
did the right things, I wouldn't be angry. It's because you're so stupid and you, you make a mess of everything that, I, that I'm angry. It's your fault. That's one, one reaction. Or the other, uh, other kind of reaction is, oh, I, shouldn't be, I should be more patient. You know, people try hard. I know they try hard, but I, and I just, it just upsets me so much and they, they make a mess of it. And, and uh, I sh it's my fault. I should just be more patient and I shouldn't be angry. How can I get rid of this anger? Both are, are filled with a sense of self, aren't they? I'm angry because it's your fault. Or, I'm angry and it's my fault. <laughs> but in the, in the, uh, in, in meditation, Vipassana meditation, then one is, is like standing back and observing the, the condition of anger and realized non-anger. Now realizing of non-anger uh, gives perspective to anger, isn't it? Because if you don't realize non-anger as a fully conscious experience, so that, that non-anger is, is, is consciously accepted, then our tendencies are always to be, our conscious experience is always the consciousness through the uh, conditioned realm. When we're high, low, happy, sad, elated, depressed, bored, <coughs> frightened and jealous and worried and anxious and lustful and greedy. And then we can only pass judgments, don't we? We can only say, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be greedy, I, I should be more patient, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't be jealous, I should be uh, full of gladness for other people, people I'm jealous of. I shouldn't be uh, frightened. I should be brave. And we go on like that, always feeling that we, there's something wrong with us because we're feeling some kind of emotion that we think we shouldn't be feeling. Now, the, the Buddha Dhamma, when we, when we reflect on sape sankara anicca, all conditions are impermanent. We say, this is a kind of essential teaching because all conditions, sankaras, all sankaras are impermanent. This is a reflection. The conditioned realm, all of it, what we see, or the, the eyes themselves, the organ of the eyes, and what we see. And the organ of the ear, the ear is impermanent. That it, we can go deaf, we can lose our hearing, and all sounds are impermanent. The nose, the sense of smell, is uh, the organ itself is impermanent, as well as the odors and so forth, the, the, the actual sense organs and their objects are impermanent. And so that with that impermanence, that reflection on impermanence, then they, by, by being mindful of, of a condition that has arisen, we can, with that mindfulness will allow us to know its non-existence. 
when it ceases, when it's not present. This is what we call niroda, realization of niroda, or the third noble truth. Words like uh, nibbana, the Buddhist uh, say, word nibbana or nirvana. What does that mean? And it can, it can be translated into being a, a kind of a heaven. We go to Nibbana or something, some kind of ethereal state. Because uh, the, the conditioned mind will always, if it's good, it's some kind of, of eternal happiness, a sense of eternality. But Nibbana is actually in, in, is a word we use just to point to the realization of non-grasping. Like when we grasp something and when we're not grasping. When there's, no, when there's non-attachment. There's what we, the realization of Nibbana, realization of non-attachment. Because there's attachment, isn't there? There's grasp, we grasp something we're obsessed, we're grasping, we're holding. And, and, and then when we, ref, when we contemplate the grasping of something, we, we recognize that grasping is this way. And through that reflection on grasping, we can, we can let go. Not getting rid of, but just letting go of. And then we realize non-grasping is like this. It's a realization. So just to, to, to reflect on the conditioned realm is the realm of death, birth and death. Whatever is born dies. It's the realm of change. It has all infinite variety and quality. It's subtleties and coarseness, grossness. It can be uh, to the point of, of, uh, of uh, just so very, very refined and, and uh, very, very subtle, beautiful, and, and so to, to being hideous and utterly ugly and disgusting and foul, and all possibilities of qualities between those two extremes. The, 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 radiant, the radiance of the Brahma, of Mahabrahma, the, the subtle uh, radiance of, of the Brahmanic realms, the realms of Brahma, the radiant light and the, the, the uh, subtle beauty of it all. Say that to, to say the most horrendous hell state, uh, Avicii hell, where it's just unmitigated pain and misery forever. The, the, these are just uh, ways of expressing extremes in the condition in the in of conditioning, from subtle to coarse. And then the human being, say, in taking refuge in the Buddha. Dhammasanga, there is this, this uh, we're, we're using this 
as our refuge in Buddha, the ability to be mindful of and using the teaching, the Dhamma, to contemplate the way it is. So in, in uh, say, the, uh, the uh, formula of sape sankarani cha, all conditions are impermanent, then the second line is sape tama anatta, all dhamma is not self, is anatta. Now dhamma then is, is the word we use that means everything, the conditioned, unconditioned, created, uncreated, and when we say kusala dhamma, akusala dhamma, apyagata dhamma, and we have this chant, abhidhamma chant, we chanted funerals. And all the possible dhammas. From the conditioned dhammas to the unconditioned, unconditioned dhamma. In other words, it's a, it's a word that means everything and no thing. Because it's 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 about the both the it's not just about uh, nibbana or non-attachment or niroda or desirelessness or emptiness, but it's it's about it's it's it me it's a, a word we use to refer to the the whole the, the total the conditioned, unconditioned, the born, unborn, anger, non-anger, attachment, non-attachment. Now in reflection on Dhamma, when you, whatever your problems are and your habit tendencies or defilements of your mind, if you, if you interpret them only from a critical mind, you know, like, I shouldn't feel the way I do, or there's something wrong with me for feeling this way, or a good Buddhist wouldn't think like this, or uh, how can I get rid of these bad habits, or these, these horrible thoughts, or these uh, unwanted feelings or emotions, then, then there, there, there's no Dhamma in that, as long as you, you're operating from that belief that these are me and mine, that the, the defilements are mine, the, the moods, the feelings, the, the, the memories, the body, the sensations. As long as that illusion that, that they're mine uh, are, remains unchallenged, then everything is interpreted from, from that. Sometimes you think, oh, at last I've gotten rid of, I haven't been angry for, for, uh, for several months. I'm, now I'm, 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 I've gotten over my anger. And beware. Just around the corner, something with all the, all the causes set there in, in motion to just suddenly, bam, suddenly you find yourself exploding, going into a rage over something, probably something, triviality. I noticed that, that in, in my own experience that, that sometimes 
my anger would be out of proportion to the causes. Like, because, uh, I mean, I'd feel, I, my reaction of anger would be very strong, but when he actually looked at the cause, they were quite trivial. And that is, don't worry about that. It's, uh, it's, it's not, uh, the, one, one can easily overreact or just be carried away uh, on the waves of, of, a, of a, an emotion like that over some little tiny thing. But don't, don't, don't feel despair about it because sometimes we, we think, in my monastic life I used to think, I wouldn't have gotten that angry when I was a layman over that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have, have acted that way as a lay person if I were, you know, over such a trivial event and just ignored it. You know? <laughs> Might have been a little miffed by it, but... And then as a monk, here I am, going over the top into a rage over some triviality. Why is that? So that, that recognize that that uh, that the uh, that, that's not really the important issue about the whether it's uh, strong or weak, but to uh, uh, use the situation for cessation. Because sometimes the the reaction has not been fully fully, uh, you know, we haven't really been uh, uh, aware of, uh, I mean, just the, the, well, the, the tendency to think, well, now anger is not much of a problem for me, gives, gives an assumption that anger is still me, isn't it? It's still, I've, I'm, I'm somebody who has gotten rid of it, or is not really my problem anymore. Still, it's coming from the, that view of that anger was my problem, but it's not that way anymore. And so, it seems like the uh, comic retribution comes, uh, says, well, I'm going to show you, give you a lesson. You find yourself blowing up over nothing. Think, I, thought, I thought it was over all that. It's worse than ever. So that's why, uh, when, when Ajahn Chah, when we start feeling proud of our, uh, of our uh, accomplishments in monastic life, he said, You'd always say, be careful, Sumato. <laughs> Beware. Don't jump for joy. Don't, don't get too smug about all your kind of uh, virtues and your practice. Same with something like uh, sexual desire. You can, in a life of celibacy, where you, you think sometimes, you, well, that's, that problem's been resolved. I haven't felt any kind of, of those, the kind of feelings for a long time. Beware. <laughs> you find yourself being totally kind of consumed over something that wouldn't have even attracted your interest before. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's uh, these are just to to 
when, when, when the interpretations come from me and mine, then it's not the, the resultant karma is going to be despair. I don't expect you to believe this, but contemplate this. Now, changing it from me and mine to the Buddha seeing the Dhamma is mindfulness of the way it is. That we're not, we're not commenting on it as a personal quality anymore, but recognizing it as a condition. So that, that allows you to see it, to see it in a perspective. It's Dhamma rather than my problem. Conditions arise and cease. They're like this. So, so anger or lust, that which arises ceases. So we patiently bear with it. If it's an unpleasant condition that has arisen, we can bear that. We can put up with it, let it be where, what it is, and, and aware of it when it's, when it's gone. Non-lust is like this. Non-greed, non-aversion, non-anger. To cultivate the path, the Eightfold Path. It's a way of more and more, you, when, you, when you realize uh, anatta or shunyata, emptiness, or no thing rather than something, or, or uh, cessation, eroda, or, des- or desirelessness, viraga, Then there's that's a, that when you when there's a knowing of that as a uh, through conscious uh, experience, then the, then we cultivate that way more and more, rather than just creating conditions uh, and being caught up in the conditioned realm. We have we cultivate the the way or the path. through this realization. Like whatever we're doing, and that's why it, it integrates into life. It's not just a meditation retreat experience. It's, it's everything, everywhere, everyone. Uh, so that it, we... But if, you have, if you've never realized that, then, then your life is, is merely going to be looking for something or trying to get something or get rid of something because you don't, you have no direction, you're merely kind of fumbling about in the dark. Attachment to a view that of no self or no soul or that you shouldn't have any desires or that you you uh, shouldn't get angry or be, shouldn't have any greed or lust that it's the the way of of seeing the flow of life in this this realm we're in as human beings this sensory realm sensitive realm that we that we're involved with through birth through our karma so that this there's the flow of it is then we're with the flow of conscious experience
We're not trying to, to stop it or to, to control it or to judge it in any way because we're, 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 we're no longer identified with the conditions. We're no longer that, that illusion of being somebody, of being a condition, a person, a personality, a thing is, has been relinquished. So there's this faith, this trust, confidence in, in being mindful. as the way. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Appamado amatapada. When you're, when you're practicing, reflecting on metta, then the discriminative mind, the critical, discerning mind, stops. You're not, you're not uh, dwelling on differences or who's better, best, who's good, who's bad. There's this kind of thinking and dwelling on the, the qualities and variations of qualities and their subtleties and coarseness and so forth are not, we're not, we're not giving, paying attention to that. We're not giving it an importance at that moment. So the metta, may all say, um, may I abide in well-being, a kind of total well-being, not a a sense of of everything that you're with, everything around you. It's not a matter of whether you think you deserve to be happy or to be... uh, to feel good about yourself or to, when you start analyzing from your critical mind, then you think, uh, am I worthy of, of happiness? Or, you know, if, if you've, maybe you've done things that you regret or feel guilty about, and then you, you might even feel you aren't worthy because of the things you've done. We have a, sometimes a desire to be punished we think we should be punished, reprimanded, or have to pay a price for the bad things we've done. Uh, and so we, we can dwell on, if we dwell on the bad things, on the mistakes, errors, then we, uh, we become critical. We, be, we start going toward the negative side. So metta May I be happy, may I be well, may I be free from suffering, may I be free from sorrow. Metta also is an attitude of mind, of acceptance and patience. So when, when we talk about all sentient beings, may all beings be happy, or to be May all beings abide in well-being. May they be well. May they be free from suffering. <coughs> now, what is a being? And so, we tend to think in the coarse way of, of like a human being or an animal, or um, we can think of uh, all the people in Asia and Africa, Europe and so forth, or the 
beings seen and unseen such as uh, devas and brahmas or demons, uh, hungry ghosts, all possibilities in the cosmology of uh, from miserable, totally miserable and wretched beings to most ethereal celestial ones. But let's, when we, when we practice meditation, I always found it very helpful to, to look at the beings that, that we uh, tend to be associated with, such as our thoughts and feelings. The, the very thoughts and feelings that you have good and bad, high and low, intelligent and stupid, lovable or hateful, whatever, whatever their quality, because a being is, is a condition, whether it's an animal or a human being or a devada or a, an angel or a demon, they are, beings are Anything that is a being, you can always apply the anicca dukkha anatta reflection to impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. So, in reflecting on the beings that you find yourself with uh, as uh, things that influence and affect you and make you happy or sad or elated or depressed, then have metta for all of those beings, for the, the thoughts, the feelings, the habit tendencies, the, the, uh, the body itself, uh, its sensations of pleasure and pain, the emotions of being high, uh, neutral or low, elated or depressed, the memories, good, bad, happy, unhappy memories, the neutral feelings, the, the breath, the sound of silence, the, the, uh, just the ordinary uh, sensations that have neither, that are not particularly one extreme or the other. So this, this metta is first, say, to develop metta toward the beings that we actually are experiencing, the ones that are influencing and, uh, and affecting our experience at this moment, such as the body, uh, the emotions, love and hate, uh, greed, lust, Anger, rage, indignation, bitterness, cynicism, resentment, jealousy, envy, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, uncertainty, insecurity, all things, all that have a quality of some sort. And, and the quality can, you know, is, is this range from the best to the worst, good to bad, high to low, uh, the dualism. So in putting yourself in the position of 
spreading metta, of having metta, then, then I found it very helpful to, to start, we always start in the metta practice with, with ourselves. May I be well. So you become used to, to having a, 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 a good will and patience and acceptance of, of everything that you're experiencing. That doesn't mean you're not dwelling on it in a critical way. You're not analyzing it or condemning or exalting anything. You're not, you're not measuring how one thing is better than another. You're, you're being patient with the good, the bad, the pleasure, the pain, the confusion, the clarity. So this is, this is unitive. It's, it's non-discriminatory. It has not, it, we're not, it's not a matter of liking or approving. It's not that we approve of bad things or that we're just dismissing them and saying they're all good. Is it? We're not, it's, uh, that would be a really stupid thing to do, to say bad is good and evil is, is virtue and all that kind of, that's, that's ridiculous. So it's not, it's not a kind of trying to paint everything in a, with a pretty color and say, say everything is wonderful and everything is beautiful. But it is non-aversion, non-discriminatory. So when you uh, practice metta, you've, you, the result is this sense of well-being and kindness, compassion towards other, towards patience and uh, <coughs> non-aversion to yourself and also to be patient and non-averse and accepting of the foibles and faults and idiosyncrasies and all that of the people we have to live with and the society we live in. In England, when, um, when Mrs. Thatcher was the Prime Minister, I used to, we used to, I used to have all the people uh, have met up for Mrs. Thatcher and to share the blessings of their practice with her. And it's interesting to see the reaction because a lot of people had very strong aversions to her. The sense of, I'm not practicing for her. <laughs> I'm not sitting here developing meditation so, so that she can stay in power. <laughs> so the, that's not the point, is it? Then, look, I mean, she's, she's a, the prime minister and she has to make decisions that are going to affect us all. So we've got to help her. We've got to try to send her love and kindness every day so that, that these good forces will influence her and she'll make good decisions for her benefit and ours. Never thought of it like that. With President Bush, the same applies, isn't it? To, to spread metta, to dedicate the, the, the blessings of our practice, the goodness of our life, for his welfare, so that he will more and more have the 
benevolent and wise uh, influence, uh, conditions influencing his mind so that he will make the right decisions. Not a matter of approving or liking or, or thinking that uh, it's not, not thinking that we're supporting uh, the Republican Party or the or that we are uh, politically uh, uh, approving of the political side. But this is just being a decent kind of human being is where we, we can at least live and practice in a way uh, that our presence in this society is, is not causing it unnecessary misery and problems and also that the, the goodness of our lives be a blessing to others and, and, and not only to the poor and the needy and the homeless who sometimes we can feel sorry for and, and be concerned with but also for the privileged, the people with, in the positions of power, the successful because they have tremendous influence and power to, to uh, make things pleasant, unpleasant for the population of this country. Metta for, for the pain in your body. It's, pain is a kind of being, isn't it? It's a quality. It means being patient and accepting it for the way it is, for exactly what it is. Not, trying, not asking it to be something it, it isn't. The, the nagging tyrant to say, uh, I'd like you a lot better if you were more this way or less that way. And we talk about the, the kind of relentless tyranny, the kind of things that, you know, well, you've made a mess of that. You certainly didn't do that very well. Look at you now. You're... You're not really. You're not really trying hard enough. You're just. Uh, you know. You never did things very well anyway, and you shouldn't think like that. And you shouldn't be like that. And you should have done something else. And these are the this this this, this kind of complaining, uh, nagging, uh, whining, blaming. Tendency of the human heart is uh, is uh, it comes from not developing metta practice in our lives. I don't like this. I don't like that. And we, we we do it to ourselves. We do it to the people around us. Complain about the our the people we live with, the, the people we love, the neighbors the country, the world. So we say in, in the West where we develop this, this critical mind, discerning mind, and we become obsessed with, with it. It takes us over. Endless kind of nagging complaints, blaming of other people blaming ourselves. So this, this uh, can be remedied through metta. 
Remember, goodness and love unite. Anger and hatred separate. When we love each other, then we're one. When, we, when we're angry and critical, then we're two and many. The emphasis on me and you. The emphasis on what I think and what you think, what I think of you, what you think of me, and, and uh, all the, the little things that we can pick on, of what I don't like about you. what you don't like about me. And then we're, we're two, aren't we? This, is a, uh, this causes division, separation. So that, that this, this is a function of our mind, the critical faculty, the discerning function to be able to, to see, uh, to be able to compare and compete is one function of mind. But when it takes over and becomes obsessive, then we become miserable and negative and, and our lives have that quality of kind of depressing dreariness and, and uh, <coughs> complaining, whining, uh, quality that, that can hang over everything that we're doing, that can influence even the even the most pleasant situations can be tainted and be destroyed through this endless criticism, complaining of the mind. So metta is, isn't blind to what's wrong or the badness. It isn't, it's not, not it's, it isn't not uh, being aware uh, of the, of the pain or the misery or the evil or the bad, but it's, it's non-aversion to it. It's like the pain in your body. If you're aware of it with, a, with an attitude of metta, then you're not averse to it. You're not dwelling in aversion. You're still aware of the, of the sensation. It's still what it is, but you're not being caught up with hating it and wanting to get rid of it. So we, we bear it with, with metta, patience, uh, acceptance of what it is without saying, I don't want you to be the way you are. I don't like you the way you are, I want you to be another way. I think in any community or family, there's always this, the, you know, one, say in a monastic community, there's a strong desire for harmony. <clears throat> And so, we all most dread disharmony. We want, would like to all live together in this kind of, with this metta, ideal of metta, of, of kindness and acceptance. 
and harmony. And the idea oftentimes is that everything is pleasant and nice and harmonious. And that everybody kind of fits in and does the work and doesn't complain and everybody kind of it takes responsibility for themselves and pitches in and isn't a, isn't a weight or a drag on the community or isn't disruptive or fits in and, and this ideal of this utopian commune where, where everyone is what they should be. But in, in communal life, it's, uh, even though there are moments where that, that kind of harmony uh, is present, we also have to learn how to be accepting of disharmony and not be averse or threatened or, or angered by disruptions, uh, threats to the community, uh, people that don't fit into it or people that we find uh, threatening or irritating to us people that don't pull their own weight in the community you have to carry along with you. The oddball, the, the one that never quite gets there on time. The one that doesn't, doesn't seem to ever quite get the point of anything. Everybody's rowing the boat, but that one's dragging his, his feet off the back of the boat while everybody else is doing the work. And so that, this, that we can feel uh, in community life, you have to watch a lot of kind of anger and resentment or intimidation. There's, there's some people that are really good at everything. There's always those bhikkhus and nuns that are just really efficient and do everything well. And uh, they're all, they always, uh, they, they always, uh, you know, they, they always seem to, to be happy or very positive or they always seem to have the party line down 100%. They're never caught in, in a kind of doubt or uncertainty. And, they always say, oh, Amravati is, uh, is the best, is wonderful, you know. Ajahn Sameja is a very inspiring teacher. <laughs> love him continuously. And, and we're so fortunate. And I'm so grateful. And it's so wonderful. And we must all pitch in and do the work. And there are these kind of people that drive uh, other kinds of people crazy. <laughs> So this is, with this, say, all levels of in a community, then the, the metta is what unites it. Even a disharmony is, is accepted with metta. The disruption, the, the intimidation, the jealousies. There's a lot of jealousies in community life. It brings up jealousy, because you have to, you're, you're living, people compare, they, people prefer this monk over that one, or they, 
people pray. They say, oh, I really like so-and-so. His, uh, his talks are so wonderful and uh, they're much better than yours. <laughs> and you, feel, you suddenly feel a sense of a kind of feeling arise in your mind. <laughs> One woman went to, to one of the monks. Uh, she's very attached to, in England, she's a woman very attached to, to a certain bhikkhu. I think he's, he's just the, the wisest, most wonderful, uh, inspiring monk that there could ever be. So she went to another one of the branch monasteries and went to the head monk there and she was talking with him and she says, you're not like uh, that monk uh, so-and-so. He said, well, what, what do you mean? And she, he said, well, he's so, he's so truly spiritual and very inspiring. So we can, you know, you can feel if somebody, uh, like the uh, one monk in the community uh, gets jealous of everything because he, he thinks every monk can do, gets, is more appreciated or more uh, gifted or capable than he is. And so almost everything arouses this sense of, of jealousy. And that can be very unpleasant, you know, in a community to have people caught up in jealousy. But yet, to go around telling them they shouldn't be jealous, I mean, they know they shouldn't be jealous. You don't have to tell them. But, but uh, we can be, <laughs> with the metta, then we can accept that and not think, not go around feeling, uh, kind of nagging them, saying stop being jealous, but to be patient and not be, not be someone who is always telling somebody to, to not be the way they are. To be patient. And, and in that patience and dedicating the, the blessings of our life to the welfare of all beings, then, then more and more we, we're not creating the conditions that, that fuel those uh, unpleasant and painful states of mind in ourselves and in others. But to have metta for, say, your own jealousy doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're saying that being jealous is okay. But it means you're not hating yourself for feeling that emotion. It's non-aversion to the Aversion. Because then we get very con complicated because oftentimes we hate ourselves for hating ourselves. Or we hate ourselves for, for feeling anger or hate ourselves for being jealous or hate ourselves for not being what we know we should be. And this is kind of this is the discerning faculty, critical faculty, 
that takes over the mind. And it's relentless. It just goes on and on and on. I, I have a very strong critical faculty. So it, and I realized years ago, I thought, even if I should be the most successful person in the whole world, if I should get all the awards that any human being could ever, ever get, and everybody on planet Earth uh, loved me and said I was the, the best person alive, and they never could imagine anyone better than I am, and, and uh, I had the best health and, was, and didn't have any pain or diseases or anything like that, if I had all the best of the best, but I hadn't really developed metta, I still would be thinking, that I'd still be critical. I said, well, you know, the mind would still be conditioned to think that the best is not good enough. Or that, that even, you know, the total, uh, every, every, you know, total acceptance by everybody in the world but I had still not developed the metta practice, I'd still be creating, uh, I'd still be critical of myself. I'd still be dwelling on, you shouldn't have said that. You should have, you should have done it better. Uh, you, you shouldn't have uh, looked like that. Or you should <laughs> the mind uh, towards oneself, I find it is very, uh, very critical, more critical than towards others. I've reflected many a time that, that, there's, that nobody in the world has ever been as relentlessly critical or unkind to me as I have been. Nobody has ever said the awful things to me that I say, that I can say. <laughs> so that, that's why metta has to, to start with yourself, to, to, even though sometimes, because it is easier to have metta for others. At least I find it's to have metta for the billion Chinese that are not here, or for the starving people in Ethiopia or Sudan, or for the uh, whales and the dolphins. Easy to have metta for dolphins, no problem. For the cat, for Pupsi, no problem. <laughs> Easy. When it gets closer to the monks and nuns, sometimes it's more difficult. Because one, one oftentimes, when you're affected, uh, other human beings are intimidating and threatening to us. So it, they arouse our critical faculties. Pupsi is not threatening. In England you see a lot of British people expressing their love and affection to the cats and the dogs. The national character is kind of being very kind of unemotional and unexpressive about how they're feeling, even towards the children. 
but they can really go kind of gooey and soppy over a cat or a dog because they, the, 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 the dog and cat are, are, on, are not threatening, isn't it? Human beings are, are very threatening creatures because they can, they can reject us, can't they? Where you feed the cat and the dog and you give them lots of love and they, they're, they're always hovering around and you have control over them. You can, you can incarcerate them. <laughs> and there's a woman in London. When we lived in London, she was absolutely petrified of human beings. But she had in her flat in London, she had all kinds of cats and birds. She had a flat that we had to climb three stories to get to, the, to, the, to it. Uh, there was no lift, uh, elevator. And then, then she uh, had these uh, cats and these birds imprisoned in her flat. <laughs> Wouldn't let them out either. Fed them things. And, then one day, when Ajahn Chah was coming to England in 1979, Ajahn Anando said, uh, invited, why don't you come with us to the airport to greet uh, Tanajan Chah? And she said, oh, I can't, Bhante. I can't do it. And why is that? Well, the plane at that time, it's, it's the time that I have to give my, my cat his uh, daily shrimp. And so <laughs> this was, and Ajahn Anando came back looking totally dismayed. He said, I can't believe that she, that she had refused to go to the airport. <laughs> and they had to keep to the schedule. The, the, the cat had to have his shrimp at that certain time. But the woman was frightened of human beings and lived in a world uh, that she could control and dominate with her affection and her food and shrimp and all that. Because human beings are frightening, aren't they? They, 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 have, they can hurt us so much, other human beings, and we can hurt each other. We can be so upset, so offended, so utterly depressed just by one kind of cold, heartless statement. We're so easily offended, feeling so easily hurt. So that this, uh, this is why we, we find, say, the people we live with, the people that surround us, sometimes it's more difficult to have metta than, say, for all the people who live far away and we don't know and are no threat to us. So that's why starting with oneself, with the way one is, with the, with the faults and, and uh, unpleasant, unfortunate qualities, tendencies, habits we might have, they, to, to move away from the obsession uh, and tendency to be obsessed with, with what's wrong 
with everything and ourselves, then this metta practice is, uh, is being patient, accepting, and uh, having a kind, friendly attitude towards all conditions, all beings. Then when there is this, the, the metta practice has its effect, then there's a sense of well-being, of being well, being calm. Your mind isn't, isn't plagued with the, isn't obsessed anymore with the uh, endless uh, kind of uh, feelings of things aren't right or they should be some other way or, or feelings of anxiety and worry because things maybe maybe things are, are disharmonious or are not very nice at this time. Maybe things are maybe it's all going wrong. Maybe it's all falling apart. But we can still be patient and accepting of that. Things have their cycles. They come together and then they fall apart. And in the monastic life, this Ajahn Chah was very good at pointing it, getting us to where, where, where my tendency is to try to control and hold everything together when it starts falling apart, to run around in a panic trying to hold it all together and, and worry about it. He would say, it changes. What, you know, it comes together and then it separates. Then there's harmony, there's disharmony, then there's going to be disharmony. Things change. These cycles are just the way it is. And so when you're patient, then you, 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 can, um, you can bear with the, the way things change and the, the cycles of the, of, this, of the conditioned realm without being, uh, you know, if we, if we aren't that way, then we're always... Uh, feeling threatened or disappointed when we can no longer control or keep the harmony or the romance or the, or the beauty or the, the goodness of something and the kind of fix it into a kind of paralysis. We have to allow that what is beautiful to decay. have to allow disharmony to to disappear. have to allow uh, things to change uh, in ways that maybe we don't want them to. We don't like the, the way they're going, but, but we can at least be patient and learn and, and receptive to the changing nature of things. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. We just kind of passively sit in the kind of fatalism, that's not it. It's not, not being fatalistic, but it is being able to, to know what you can and do and, and, how, and, that not, and what you cannot do. If we can do something to bring harmony to this community, if we can help it along and, and, uh, and and uh, bring uh, good things to it and, and encouragement and that, then we do that. We do the good 
and we do the good that we can do. But much of our life is going to be 